When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The following is a presentation of the Belly Up Sports Media Network. All right, we've got a podcast. We've got a podcast. We've got a podcast for you tonight or today or whenever this is getting released. I'm Ed Hand, and I'm joined today by Hogdale on episode 218 of the Pesky Report, um, continuing our tour around other teams that are not the Red Sox in the majors. Today, uh, we it's, it's our Orioles episode, and I'm joined by Eric Birdland, a.k.a. Eric Garfield of Florida Podcast Pod. Is that, uh, is that correct, or do you say it as, like, FL Podcast Prospect Pod? Oh, we don't care. It's not important. As long as, long as people know where to find the highlights and where to find the videos, we call it Florida Prospect Report, but you guys are my boys. You can call it whatever you want. Okay, we're going to... We're going to call it the super awesome Orioles prospect uh, podcast because I'm affiliated with Sox prospects. I do their social media, but there aren't that many um, prospect podcasts for other teams. Uh, and it's always for me, there's it's, it's a much richer canvas of baseball than just focusing on major league baseball and the Orioles. I mean, come on, they've got one of the absolute, best minor league systems right now and we're really seeing the fruits of that in uh in 2022 and we're about to see it more in 2023 and we're gonna we're gonna touch on that a lot but this is a red Sox podcast first and foremost so i am gonna ask you a couple of red Sox questions right now um now i've been i've been following you for a while now on twitter because you get a lot of the florida complex league stuff uh, now how did you start getting into uh, into that earliest level of the minors uh, baseball? How did you start following that? Uh, great question. Uh, thanks for asking. In 2019, uh, I'm, I'm a, a big uh, bicycle rider, a cyclist. So in 2019, I got into an accident, and I was kind of like stuck at home. The only thing I could do in the initial parts of my recovery were was walking. So where I lived in Sarasota was about an eighth of a mile away from the, the stadium. So my walks went to the stadium. I did not even know that they were doing this, but they were playing rookie league games. The first day I went in, I saw a second round draft pick, Gunnar Henderson, first round, first overall pick, Abby Rochman, a lot of the 2019 draft class that became like the stars of the system today. And I was, I was hooked. Once I saw that team and how they played and that early part of, of learning, I went back every single day. They invited me to their practices. And I have not stopped since 2019. In fact, today I just spent home from a, a minor league practice to, to get home in time to, to talk with you guys. So that's, that's where it all started. Yeah, well, we really appreciate you doing that. Did you grow up an Orioles fan? Oh, huge! I'm from I'm from Baltimore. 
I moved to Sarasota in uh, 2014. Ironically, the Orioles were the best team in the sport. That year was really kind of weird and very out of nowhere. But yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Baltimore, um, even though I've uh, taken up residence in Florida. Are you from like Baltimore proper or like the area there? Because I, uh, my dad lived in Frederick for a bit, and I spent some time uh, like closer to on the other side of the Chesapeake and uh, at Washington College. Okay, Frederick is extremely beautiful. I absolutely love it, and I miss the fact that they had a minor league baseball team. Frederick Keys, baby. Right, best stadium, best food, best beer. Um, I'm from Baltimore County, so it's like a. My town is called Reisterstown. It's a northwest suburb of uh, of Baltimore, so about twelve to sixty miles from from the city. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, no, the Frederick Keys were were awesome. I uh, was very disappointed to learn that they're not um, affiliated with a major league team anymore. I remember seeing. Um, God, I think it was 1999. I remember seeing Jason Worth and Sean Figgins both play there. Um, and I don't remember if they were on the Baltimore team or they were on the visiting team. But they had a pitching prospect named uh, Matt Riley. And Matt Riley karate chopped a board in half midway through the, like the fifth inning or something. And it was like the most amazing minor league mid-inning thing I had seen as like a nine-year-old. If you want to have a good conversation with an Orioles fan... Don't mention that, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's a name that, that I certainly remember. He was a, a prospect that did not deliver on his on his promise, but he showed he showed some pretty good stuff. Good good memory. Yeah, good karate chop too. You know, you don't forget when somebody splits a board in half like that. You don't you don't just forget that. But um, yeah, so I started following you though. Initially, I you you tweeted about Miguel Blaze on the Red, who is now very quickly rising through the ranks of uh, prospects with the Red Sox. He's been on a bunch of top one hundred lists, and he was. I mean, he's hasn't played a single game above the Florida Complex League, but there were not a lot of highlights from him. Like you know, like some rumors were starting to spread. Like, hey, this kid can hit. But you posted the first video of him that I actually saw, and I think it was he was hitting a double or something like that. It was just like, oh wow, this guy's got access to this stuff. So what's what has been your read on him so far? Like, are the are the rumors true? Uh, well, I believe the rumors are true. I kind of played a role in helping start them. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say. I know this is a weird. This, this is a. I watch prospects and I watch practice more than I watch games. I think Blyce was at worst the second best baseball player I saw last season, regardless of age. His skill level is immense. His baseball ability is truly through the roof. He's a ceilingless athlete, and then you have the speed and the way that he can use it in the outfield to cover ground and on that double to just absolutely explode out of the box like a true track athlete. He's faster than fast baseball players, and he's better than good baseball players. So, you know, I'm, I get hype about a lot of prospects. I think the only guy who compares to him at that age level and really overall is the Rays – uh, Junior Caminero, and he's a very different type of player. He's a, a power extra base hits guy. But Blyce has it all. I would, I, this is me talking. I would be very surprised if he's not eventually the number one prospect. That, and I don't think, I don't think the Red Sox have had that since Yon Mankata. So that's, I mean, this is somebody he's that's seen number one prospects in baseball. You have gotten to see them up close, which we're, uh, we're going to get into in a minute. But, um, Couple of uh, of Red Sox of ex Red Sox are in the Orioles uh, organization now. Um, how what's the early outlook on the pitchers there in uh, Darwin and Hernandez and um, AJ Politi, who we actually had on the on the podcast a couple months ago? Okay, um, Politi, I've gotten several looks at him before the games, before you know, just camp, live BPs, and warming up and mound sessions. And he was getting just assaulted by every level of hitter, like major league veterans, minor league guys. You could see the sliders start to move, but the spin was not, it was not strong. So the movement away from bat paths 
was not happening. It was actually staying in the bat pad. You could see the slider, but it wouldn't bite. It wouldn't break the way it's supposed to. Now the games have started, totally different. My opinion, <laughs> my opinion of Politi is now, I think the Orioles are going to find a way to keep him on the roster and utilize him as a weapon. I want to say nine outs in spring training, five of the nine have been strikeouts. His whip is less, is around a point, uh, 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 a half or 0.5 or 0.6 or something like that. So I don't know if he's spectacular, but a lefty with movement like that that can frustrate hitters, I'm going to think, or pardon me, he's not a lefty, but I'm going to think that the Orioles find a way to utilize him and make him like a regular rotation player, like in their in their pen. Uh, Darwin's in is a little bit different. He, he's the one that is lefty. Yeah. Uh, in camp, he was hitting his spots. He was fooling people. He was getting a lot of swings and misses, especially from younger minor leaguers. Now that the games have started, it hasn't been it hasn't been the same. I've only seen him, I think. One appearance in my seven spring training games, or maybe two, but uh, not getting out, not hitting his spots. So it's hard for me to give like a a complete answer on on him. I know that you know he, he hasn't been exactly consistent, but he wasn't horrible for you guys. So maybe I guess that's I'm hoping he can get to that level for the O's. It depends on the year. He was, you know, he had, yeah, last year, um, he, he was very bad. Like, it was bad. Very bad last year. But two years ago, he was fairly serviceable as, like, a second lefty option. And he's always just kind of, like, it's it's one of those, like, man, this is this guy's stuff is electric. He has no idea where it's going. And, yeah. you know, that, that gets you into trouble. He has absolutely no clue where any of his pitches are going. It's kind of funny when you think about it. I mean, if there's any bullpen player on the Sox the last two years years who have uh, directly influenced my propensity for self-harm, uh, it'd be Darwin's and Hernandez on the top of that list. Uh, he's just – he's so stressful. You cannot take a second uh, to relax when he's up there pitching because, like, you just have no idea what's going to happen. Thank you for the – thank you guys both for the preview so we'll see <laughs> no, i guess we'll see what happens if he, ma- if he makes the squad yeah no Politi is um a different story there though he's like um he's I, I i can very easily see him being a successful middle reliever um he knows he knows how to pitch and it's like you I, I that 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 like pitchability i think it's a hard it's kind of a hard thing to like put a metric on but just was just seeing him in AAA as much as I did. He was the only of their relievers that like had major league stuff that finished the season there. Um, it was kind of like when I saw that he wasn't going to be on the forty man. It was like okay, someone's taking him. I, I and and you were right. I think maybe the 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 appeal that he'll have as the season goes on. The Orioles starters are really kind of like fireballers. All of them, ninety five, ninety six, all the way up to ninety eight, even Bradish. So. Him coming in after them, slider cutter, a little bit slower, could provide that frustrating contrast for for hitters. So I know it's kind of like an if type of thing in an ideal set circumstance. But right, the Orioles, you know, they draft well, they develop well, they even rule five select well. So um, I, it's it's all very shocking to me. But I now that I've seen him in games against opponents wearing uniforms, not Orioles minor leaguers, I. I feel I get the keeper feel from from Politi. Yeah, it's like something Thanks. clicked with the with the uh, rise in competition. But speaking of right. drafting well, um, you you know the Red Sox and the Orioles do have one guy in their system that they each drafted, uh, but he didn't go with the Red Sox. He uh, they couldn't get him, and that's uh, that's Jed Fabian, who was then uh, saw who was then drafted and successfully signed by the Orioles next year. Um, the, the next year he's now he's that's an that's an outfielder with like a lot of power right yes uh righty righty outfielder uh i've been to minor league camp the last two days uh he's hit several home runs into the parking lot just in those in those two days including one that was about 417 feet yesterday oh, wow. right so um Prospect excitement is my thing. 
But the more I watch him and his uh, draft mate, Dylan Beavers, the more I see parallels to the upper minors where we have Kerstad and Kowser. So they're not exactly the same type of players, but they're very, very dynamic. To be completely honest, I think Fabian is the best out of all, all four of them. So, and, and I'm basing that on, on offense. One thing I talked about with the coach today, we're, we're watching him in a, in a live BP. He hits any type of pitch well. If it's up and moving, if it's like near the dirt and, and spinning, if, if it's just a plain heater, he makes contact with the fat part of the bat and sends it 380 feet. I, it's a lot of effort, but it it's, you know, he's very early into a professional career. I, I sense stardom with Judd Fabian, so I'm sorry that you guys didn't get him, but he was a comp B or a comp C, so yeah. every team could have had him twice. Yep. And, you know, the I think I believe that the guy the Red Sox got back uh, for that one um, the next year was uh, Roman Anthony, who looks to be a pretty promising. Uh, I forget if it was Anthony, Roman Anthony or uh, Cutter Coffee, but, you know, both are guys that look pretty promising. I like Roman Anthony, uh, Roman Anthony, Roman Anthony a lot. I believe it was it was him. Yeah, no, he's up here. So, you know, like trade one good prospect outfielder for another. That's fine. Last prospect question, and then we're going to hit start hitting the big league stuff. Um, you meant and you mentioned this beforehand because I had forgotten the names completely. Um, there are two other prospects in the system. Uh, I, I don't, you know, maybe people remember this, maybe they've chosen to forget, but the uh 2019 season, the big deadline acquisition was Andrew Kashner from the Orioles. The uh, Red Sox had really used most of their trade collateral building that 2018 pick. They didn't really have any bullets left, and Kashner was, uh, you know, they traded two very low-level prospects at the time to get him. Now, this was uh, this was four years ago. So um, can you tell us a little bit about uh, how these two prospects have developed? Happy, happy to. Um, the two uh, guys traded back for Kashner back then, I think they were 16 and 17 years old. So now they're 20 and 21 are out. Uh, both righties, outfielder Elio Prado, both Venezuelan also. Uh, outfielder Elio Prado and uh, infielder, middle infielder, uh, Noel Romero. So uh, early development has gone the way that it usually does. Uh, a lot of peaks and a lot of valleys also. Prado has faced injury issues coming up. Uh, they both were awesome today. I saw them today. They both um, they both reminded me that they really enjoyed their time as Red Sox. They actually like being drafted by them. Uh, I know they like where they are right now, but uh, I think No Birth is going to be kind of like maybe a minor league utility player. Uh, Prado and his hit tool, he's already gotten stronger and gotten a little bit bigger. And his contact is going further and considerably louder. So maybe he has higher upside. It was the same when the deal went down in, in 2018. He was really the one in, in, in the deal. And that's still true today. So uh, I expect a lot of questions about their development to be answered this, this season as they're now of that age where we can kind of like evaluate them and know what they have. So uh, – Thank you for asking, and thank you for giving me an opportunity to brag about two guys that I've been watching for a while. <laughs> yeah, I mean that—that's the thing. There are so many guys in the system, and like each of them has their own story and their own uh, their own ability. And it's—I don't know. Like again, that's what when I talk about the, the the canvas that is minor league baseball, it's like these two guys that have been there now for a couple of years. That I'm sure Red Sox fans you know, or a complete afterthought. But we see sometimes that these guys that are afterthoughts, look at uh, Santiago Espinal, traded for Steve Pierce, World Series MVP. Yep. Kid made the All-Star team this year, you know? Yep. Um, and I'm sure most Red Sox fans didn't realize he was ever in the Red Sox system. But that's, you know, they're all they're all starting somewhere. Um, well, you guys have, in my opinion, you guys have a really good system. And you really find international ta international talent like more than you get credit for. So when you're talking about prospect collateral, 
You know, your execs can go down to the low minors and find guys to deal really every single season, every single population. I really, you know, mo most fans and most Orioles fans might not feel this way, but the Red Sox, to get guys started and get guys in their system, they do as good a job as any organization in the entire sport. This is something I, I look at all the time. I'm glad you said that um, about the international players also, because I think Eddie Romero, who is the guy that's effectively in charge of that, yep. um, you know, he's been there through multiple regimes now yep. and has done such a, just such a good job. Like with like, you know, like, I mean, they're the, the household names like the Devers and the Bogarts, but I mean, you look at the system right now with guys like Luis Perales, um, and just like some of the guys that are coming out of that league at this point, Blaze, uh, obviously, um, it's he, he's so good at his job and not I, I feel like it's always like Bloom or Dombrowski or Charrington, like, oh, they're the guy who drafted him. But it's a lot of people that right. go into making these decisions. Um, but so but no, we definitely appreciate hearing all this minor league stuff. But we do have a couple and I know that that it's not quite as much your forte, but you do know these guys as well as anybody, especially the homegrown ones. So I'm going to, I'm going to let Hogdale take over for a little bit here because we were talking about this last night. And, uh, you know, he said this was off the top of his head, but I think that he, uh, he planned out his questions a little better than oh, he's whatever, whatever. Yeah. Right. First off, just before that, I gotta say, I gotta say, man, I appreciate your opinion much more than Keith laws. He can uh, suck my ass. <laughs> Uh, glad I can see if someone has taste and has you know good opinions when it comes to the Red Sox farm system. I appreciate you first You're and welcome. foremost with that. Now, when it comes to like the the Orioles like major league team, I've been pretty mean to them like for the last about month now because mostly because when it comes to like the Red Sox, our fans have been crucifying the team's offseason because they didn't do enough. They lost Xander, even though they completely rebuilt the bullpen, added some really good uh, depth options. And I'm like, I look at the Orioles offseason. And I'm like, dude, if I was an Orioles fan after that super fun season, you got all these young guys coming up. Uh, it's like the, the light at the end of the tunnel for all these Orioles fans have been waiting for this rebuild to come to fruition. And you supply them with, <laughs> with, <laughs> with Kyle Gibson and Adam Frazier. These are okay players. These are good. Adam Frazier is a good player. But this is like your beacon of light of an offseason is Adam Frazier. Like, come on, man. They deserve more. So I just wanted to know, like, your opinion on that kind of thing. Is that a question? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. I guess, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm 44, so I've been alive since 1978, and I've seen the Orioles through different ownership situations and different objectives. Are we contending? Are we rebuilding? So I guess... I should be very frustrated at the lack of fortification of the roster. But Adley Rutschman is the catcher. Gunnar Henderson is the shortstop. Grayson Rodriguez will be the number one or number four, you know, somewhere in the starting rotation. And there will be system players to supplement them as they go on. I'm also kind of of the mindset that that process is going to cost them a few wins. They won 83 last year. I'm kind of thinking 75, 76 this year. But the kind of progress that is happening beneath the surface means more than the major league winning percentage in, in this particular season. I understand that most Orioles fans are going to really disagree with me and want a true number one, you know, not Kyle Gibson, not an innings eater type, like, like an ace. But that's Grayson. And after him, by this time next year, that'll be D.L. Hall. And we need to save that potential free agent money to extend our superstars that are not even close to 25 years old, like Adley Rutschman, like Gunnar Henderson. So I, I, I certainly understand the frustration of the fan base, but I think excellent things are, are happening as far as the talent level of the roster because of who was drafted and developed. You just have to you have to be patient. No, I completely yeah. understand what you're going with there, and it's undeniable. The Orioles, like in terms of like a foundation for like a winning formula going into the future, it's undeniable. Like what they have coming up through like that that depth of quality in their system. But you know, like when I what I want I wanted to see them do was kind of like what the uh, the Blue Jays did when their young guys first came up. You know, supplement them with a veteran presence, like a George Springer, a dude who's a quality player. 
in a, a position where maybe your high end prospects aren't at, add him in. He can mentor those young guys, has championship experience. It's something kind of like what the Braves did early on with them as well. It kind of like they did that in attempt with Marcelo Zuna. It's they didn't realize that eventually he'd be a gigantic piece of shit. But they already <laughs> had Freddie Freeman at the start of that, though, so he sort of was that veteran leader. Exactly. But which right. makes me wonder who is the leader on the Orioles right now? Great question. In in twenty twenty three baseball, it's almost always the highest paid dude. I, I want to say the Orioles' biggest salary for this year is Anthony Santander, maybe seven and change or eight, somewhere around there. So it's, pro- it's probably not him. I'm going to – okay, I've watched Gunnar develop – or Grayson, pardon me, develop. I've watched him in the minor league camps. I've watched him in the minor league games year after year. He is the team leader. He's the vocal leader, the one that's going to yell in the huddle, yell in the locker room. So he's one, and Adley is the other one. That kind of will talk a little, but leads by example. So even like the, the the leadership tier of the Orioles is barely established because of how young they are. So it's real. I mean, Austin Hayes is a front facing guy. Cedric Mullins is an all star. They really don't talk a lot. They don't have uh, media appearances. It's not like the locker room where all the rep- the locker where all the reporters go. So. That's a great question. I'm going to go with uh, Grayson and Adley as as one and one A. You know that's um, interesting. With um, like uh, Hogdale, I don't know how if you've felt like this, but the way that Tristan Cassis has kind of been being treated for, with the Red Sox right now, it, it almost feels like they want him to step into that leadership role for the younger guys. Do you think that that's? Uh, do you think that a team needs like a young leader or like, is, is that something that you think is possible? Or do you think that it needs to be a veteran that's been around a few times? I think it needs to be a mixture of both because yeah, you need to have those young guys that, you know, have a commanding presence in the room that uh, set an example for the other guys around them. But at the end of the day, in terms of leadership, you want people with that pedigree, like that yep. established reputation to be able to set an example for those even younger leaders just to, help them with their progression going forward. It, it's not one of those things where I think you should bring in a guy who's a bum, who's old and a bum. He's eating up a roster spot. The only thing that he does is bring good leadership. That's why I said with the, uh, the Blue Jays did the perfect example of this by bringing in George Springer, a dude with championship pedigree, a dude with a ton of quality and a dude who was worth paying. And he wasn't so old that like, as he aged uh, and that as he aged that he wouldn't be good enough by the time, the kids, you know, grew up and were ready to compete, that he'd be done. I, I kind of prefer, and it's usually not structured like this, I like it to be the person that's the best baseball player yes. in the group. I sometimes, <laughs> sometimes it is, but, but most of the time it's not. That A. B, I think it's time for this conversation to stop giving credit to the Blue Jays. That's the team that I absolutely, I absolutely hate the most. Really? I, I really don't dislike any team. But the Blue Jays, I'm not I'm not gonna cuss, but if I was gonna cuss, I'd cuss to them and for them and and, and about them. I'll just say <laughs> F- I love that. <laughs> love no that. more crediting them. Say that for your next podcast. <laughs> that's awesome. We do have the Blue Jays coming on next week. So <laughs> well, that's gonna be no that's gonna be interesting. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> Because I gotta, I, I gotta agree with you. The Blue Jays kind of frustrate me because I feel like they should be so much better than they are. They're maddeningly inconsistent. For yeah, how great they should be. They can't seal the deal. Don't develop their prospects all the way through. Kind of yeah. spend like I don't want to say frivolously, but they have like specific questions they need answered with talent, and they'll just get a name player. They love to win the all season. That's you know that's not what I, that's not what I'm about. Draft yeah. good guys and take a couple seasons to develop them and let them answer your questions. That's the Blue Jays are anti that and yeah, just, no. And it seems like the Orioles and the Red Sox are a little more open to developing their own players, but also kind of be willing to take one step back to take two steps forward. Because and again, this is like you know, twenty twenty one Red Sox were two games away from the World Series. Twenty twenty two, objective disaster. Uh, <laughs> But, 
you, when you look at how the minor league system developed, they have Ray and Bayo now, they have Tristan Cassis, they have um, Brian Mata and Brandon Walter knocking on the door. They've got some, say on Rafaela, they've got some guys that are almost ready to contribute at the major league level. And we saw last year with the Orioles how much having, and I'm not comparing those guys to Gunner and Adley. Like that's, that's maybe Cassis is like the tier below them, but they're not, like those two are like, Two of the top two prospects in all of baseball. That franchise players, yeah, yeah. Um, Adley might be the best catcher in baseball by the end of the season. He yeah, might we already be about that before. We were, yeah, no, we were raving about Adley. <laughs> Adley's insane. So funny. He is. But you, but you guys need a nucleus, and a lot of obver- observers are like, "Oh, the Red Sox don't have one." I see it totally differently. Rafaela, Cavadas. I don't. I'm not in love with Nick York, but he's something. I definitely love Meyer and Romero. This is this is a group. Nathan Hickey. Yeah, yeah. Hickey. Nobody are, talks about because they don't no, know what position are, he's going to play, but he can hit. These are true projectable baseball athletes. The Red Sox they don't have like two. They have closer to twelve to fifteen. So you know, I I don't want it to sound like a love fest, but these are players that I watch and I watch them be be good. Let's make it. Let's have a love fest about the guys, though, that you watched early on. Let's talk about we've we've been we've been beating around this for too long. Let's talk about Adley. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what when you first saw this kid, your first uh, year going there? What was your projection of him, and how did that change as he as he grew through the minors? Well, I thought he was going to be a non-bust. As the first overall pick, I, I guess that was like the the floor. And I guess my earlier impressions were, you know, this guy's labeled as a switch hitter. He's an outstanding power hitter lefty, a good contact hitter lefty, kind of empty righty. And he doesn't look like the best athlete behind the plate. That was 2019. Now it's 2023, and I get to games early. So I can watch him just put on the equipment and warm up doing drills, getting balls shot at his feet and his ankles. He has improved his lateral ability while squatting. He's probably one of the five best human beings on earth at that skill set. So catcher defense is a big part of being, being a catcher. He's gone from a number one draft pick to the true captain and full number one organizational priority. I really am actually wondering over the course of his contract, how much are the Orioles going to even catch him because they want to keep him and want to keep his lower body healthy. So I see him as like a first base and the first baseman in the second half of his, his contract. I've seen him work there. He's awesome. He's awesome at scooping balls. Like it looks like it's his, his natural position. And then you take the offense, you know, he, he's, he's grown He's matured, he's physically developed, and he's improved his already good skill set. So when you when you put all those things together, I think we're talking about a guy that's going to be no worse than fifth in MVP voting three or four times, or maybe even win it. So that's the Orioles' best player, and for the beginning of their, their winning window, he's, he's the foundation. So I usually don't get super excited about players like that, but I mean, he for a catcher, he he really has got it all. Weird. So we've got him for the everybody knows Adley, but there was another prospect that came up at the end of the year that we talked a little bit about, and that's Gunnar Henderson. How does Gunnar compare? Obviously, they play different positions, but how does Gunnar compare in the grand scheme of things here to to Adley? Like, where does he fall in? Well, th- you know, I'm, I'm, I, I, I watch practice more than I watch games, and I take all the information from, from – I think very much that Gunner is not a third baseman. Not because he's not good at it, but because he's great at shortstop. So why play him? Why put him in a position where he's a B when there's one 12 feet away where he's a true A+. I think that third base is going to be occupied by Kobe Mayo eventually. But Gunner is the – the Orioles have a lot of good shortstops. It's actually starting to be kind of a problem. But Gunner is 
in my mind, the absolute best of them. I think in terms of baseball ability, making contact, running out of the box, covering their, their zone in defense, I think Gunner is the best player on the team. I think he's better than Adley, and I think he's one of the best players in the league. He, his development hasn't exactly been rushed, but there's some lefty-type lefty, lefty type things that he still needs to hammer out to get to that consistent five to 600 plate appearance player. But I think Gunner is the most talented baseball player in the Orioles organization. And for once, that is really saying something because there's a lot of dogs in there. So uh, Gunner, when, when I first started watching that rookie team in 2019, he just captured my attention and he's kept it for, for years. And it's been really, really neat to like watch him he was a scrawny teenager when he first started. Now he's like man-sized, big forearms, huge hands, long home runs. So, you know, every part of his development, I've been like right there watching from extremely close. And he's just an awesome, awesome person. Extremely humble, very nice to kids, not private, will make jokes. So Gunner, you know, he's not going to be that captain type, but he's going to be a player that Oriole fans love for a long time, hopefully forever, to bring up the World Series. I got to tell you, when you talk about Gunnar Henderson, I thought you were talking a little bit about Hogdale there. What? Uh, what you well, you know, they, 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 it is, they do compare similarly. So in some ways, maybe subconsciously, I kind of was. Uh, no, I mean, I, that, that is a ringing endorsement right there. Just an awesome guy. That like so. Here's the third of these prospects here that I'm. And listen, I know that they're littered with prospects right now. The Orioles, right. you can you can just act, you can trip and like land on four of them. But the one that I think is getting the most attention right now in spring training and the most potential rookie of the year hype. Actually, I don't. Is Gunner quality? Can he win rookie of the year? Or did he go over his limit last year? He's he under his limit, so he can win it this year. And I would bet that he, I bet that he does. I don't know. He's going to have some competition from his own team because you've got, and you talked a little bit about him, Grayson friggin' Rodriguez, who should have made his debut last year, got hurt. But that, I mean, as far as pitching prospects go, I'm not sure there's a better one in baseball right now. Yeah, there isn't. Uh, I love Grayson. Uh, he's kind of, he really embraces the pitcher's role as like MC tone setter, like it's his state, it's his job, and uh, you know he's a, he's a true number one because of that mentality. But his stuff is lights out. When the Orioles drafted him, he was fast curve slide. That's it. Now his best weapon, he didn't even have it, is the changeup package. He has the tumbler and he has the slow slow down as it gets closer to the plate. So he's got two devastating all-speed pitches, really five ways to frustrate a hitter and to make them think. So, you know, it's he really was. When he got hurt last year, guys, his next start was going to be in the major leagues. And it was a, a, a lat, the beginning of a lat injury. So really the course of action is no exercise, no running, no throwing, no stretching. You rest for five or six months. Then, if everything still feels right, then you can start doing those things very, very slowly. And for an athlete like him that's so foaming at the mouth all the time ready, it was very, very difficult for him to just do that. But he's back. I've talked to him a couple times at at camp. His non-throw days, he's like a human being. His throw days, I mean, he's like a dog with rabies. I, it, it, don't, you don't want to get near him on his throw days. That's awesome. Yesterday, he, he pitched against uh, Detroit. He gave up some some hard contact. It didn't fall for hits. He got a couple strikeouts. So he's right on the developmental track that they, that they had for him when he got drafted. Now it's time for, for him to be on the Orioles, not on the Norfolk Tides, not in the minors. It's time for him to do it against big league hitters. Uh I'm I'm semi optimistic that he's going to have a good season this year, but this year is not 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 the concern. After this year, I think he's going to be the steady number one that, that the Orioles envisioned when they drafted him. Love Grayson, absolutely love him. 
Yeah, he's my favorite prospect uh, right now for the Orioles, although it's partially I do Atha and I drafted him a couple years ago. So, you know, he's made me feel pretty smart. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, you are smart, but, you know, we, we, all, we, all have, we all have our reasons for why we like guys. And by the way, just, just a, a perfect opportunity to mention, the Orioles have a lefty with stuff that's comparable too. I actually think that D.L. Hall, his stuff is more electric than Grayson's. But really? He's, oh, absolutely, absolutely. I've seen him be better than Grayson, but he needs to find that command consistency that makes him a, a guaranteed starter, not a guy who has the uh, bullpen option written on him. But that's what his profile is right now. The organization isn't exactly sure where to put it. Some consistency, and he's a starter and a damn good one. I, I'm crazy about DL Hall. Yeah, so those are some big name. Pro- I mean, that's the reinforcements right there. That's already right going to be coming up, especially on the pitching front. But um, Hogdale had some other questions about the uh, the big league team. No, I was just wondering, like, uh, like what are your expectations for the team this year? Then you you briefly mentioned earlier you expect to take a bit of a step back, but you know, uh, what do you think their ceiling is this year, and what do you think their floor is? Oh well, that's that's a different question. I think like if every this is not how baseball works ever. But if every single thing works out right and nobody gets hurt and all the prospects start to demonstrate a semblance of potential, then like maybe 85 to 90 wins. But it's it's just not realistic to expect that those those circumstances to all fall in line that way. So uh, I think I think the best part of the season is going to be the obvious and apparent transition from the minors to the majors for some of these prospects. We haven't mentioned Kirsten. We haven't mentioned Kowser. We haven't mentioned Westberg. We haven't mentioned Joey Ortiz. We haven't mentioned Connor Norby. So these guys are going to be showing up. I care about that so much more than I care about the win total or the winning percentage. So as long as that happens, you know, ceiling versus floor is is less important for, for 2023. I guess to not like beat around the bush, I, I, I expect 76 to 80 wins. Seems like a pretty reasonable bet from what you've said. But of all those guys, and, you know, it's a plethora of prospects that are coming up here that are going to have to be added to the 40-man. Which one do you think has the highest likelihood of surprising people and really showing themselves to be... A, a, like maybe a, I don't want to say an everyday player, but a just a good major league baseball player. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to go with Norby, the second baseman, and I think he's out of all the guys that I've talked about. If everything breaks right, he's the most time All Star, I think, because he played second base, hit tool with his strength. And power is what his hit tool is steering him towards. So at his peak, physically, I see him as a 25 home run hitting second baseman who has an on base above 330 or above 350 and an average in the 300 range. There just aren't a lot of those in baseball nowadays. There's just not that many high power offense second basemen. He is that. So, you know, as far as, like, upside and highest ceiling, I think Norby is going to be the most uh, most time all-star of the Orioles' prospect nucleus right now. Speaking of second baseman, what's going on with Ramon Arias right now? Um, not specifically his spring training or anything like that. I know he's been underperforming a little bit, but... You know, he won a gold glove last year, and it seems like he's not going to see – it seems like he's almost in a utility role. Um, is he is he doomed to kind of just be roving from position to position until he gets traded? Or, like, how do they see him? That's a yes. I think, I think yes, he is. But before when I <laughs> – the, the, the Orioles have so many shortstops, it's almost like a problem. This, this, this is what I mean. This is from that overlap. Yeah, he's obviously a stellar – top-tier defender, like, you want him in your lineup every at-bat, every game, every inning, every opportunity, but that means sitting gunner. 
So, or but that means never, ever playing Jorge Mateo. Never. So the Orioles are not, they're just not currently constructed where one guy gets all the reps and one guy gets none. But you're, you're right to observe that he is being squeezed out. And it's really not by talent. It's, 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 by, it's by default. So, you know, when you look at baseball, the ideal thing to do with a player in that situation is to figure out his value on the market. And, and trade him or package him in a larger deal. And that, that took us back to what you guys mentioned before. Like, they didn't buy free agents in the offseason, and we really didn't hit a, a huge trade. We traded a shortstop prospect, Daryl Hermes, to Oakland for Cole Irvin, the number two starter. But let's say it's July, and the Orioles are in second place or in first place in the AL East. We can take four prospects, whichever ones we want, trade them for Brian Reynolds. Or trade him for a, a starting pitcher, like whoever's the hottest guy, Beaver, Flaherty, somebody, somebody like that in that of that caliber. So, you know, the the prospects that don't get to play or don't get to cross that major threshold with the Orioles, it's going to happen elsewhere after after they're dealt. So you don't see it as them being overtly conservative. You see it more as lying and wait for the right opportunity. And that that does explain a lot of what they're what they've done this offseason. And that is perfect phrasing. That is exact that is exactly what I see. They're gonna let the prospects determine the course of action and how good they are and when that window is fully open. And when it is, they're gonna act. So right. That's that that that's an excellent way excellent way to describe it. They didn't take the offseason off. I mean, they let Jordan walk, Lyles walk, and they replaced him with Kyle Gibson. It's almost like same thing. That's an upgrade. So, I've never been much of a Lyles fan. He always does well against the Red Sox and terrible against everyone else. 170 innings for the Orioles last year. You know, that's that that's what we're looking at. How how available was he? So Gibson is going to be the same thing this year. Neither of them are Grayson Rodriguez. Neither of them are D.L. Hall or Noah DeNoyer. So, you know, it's – it's. I don't want to say, like, it's temporary, but when they see how good they are by proving it against other opponents, that's going to initiate, the, the I guess, the next phase of, of action. So, the I mean, the rest of the Orioles' rotation – is sort of um, I look at two guys and that's uh, Dean Creamer and um, oh my god I'm having a brain for uh, Bradish uh, Kyle right. Bradish yeah, and they also had because I've seen every I I like I like Creamer quite a bit um, I think he is he's a, he's a good pitcher every report I've read is that there's going to be some regression for him this year um, now I don't know how true or not is that is. But when you look at Bradish, he had kind of a miserable first half, and then it was really excellent the second half. Do you see those two guys playing a role in the like once Rodriguez and Gunner and all those guys are signed? Do you see them playing a role in the future of this team? Oh, absolutely, yes. We 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 need their innings. We need their stuff. So as the young guys transition up, it's not like either of them are at or near thirty years old. I think Brady had to tinker or repair or refine his delivery. And he got that maybe two-thirds through his time last year. And from then on, it was smooth sailing. Uh, Kramer has to find the pitches that work and eliminate the ones that don't. So his pitch mix is a a better, more presentable package. Um, But, yeah, I think they're going to be two major innings loggers for the entire part of, of the Orioles' window. Another opportunity to mention, they were not drafted or really developed by the Orioles. Bradish came in the Dylan Bundy trade, Dean Kramer, and the Manny Machado trade. So yep. Last survivor. Right, the, the last guy so, so long ago. But, you know, it's just, it's just a way to observe that the Orioles' plan has been in action for several seasons. You just had to sit back and wait on it. Young Kramer, young Bradish, they were kind of – now they're established starters in a major league rotation. So going from where they were to where they are says a lot about the Orioles' ability to to develop. So I got a question for you, Hogdale. Are you familiar with who the closer for the Orioles is? Right now? Yeah. 
I could not tell you off the top of my head. Not gonna lie. Okay, so think tall. I, yeah, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but his nickname is the Mountain. You are not wrong. I do not have to correct you. In Spanish, I think I he might be the most underrated relief pitcher in baseball right now. The guy that you have not heard about that is just friggin' devastating. Um, and that's Felix Bautista, who I believe was a 28-year-old rookie, right? Uh, yes. 20, yeah, a, something like that. How did they, did they develop him? Yeah. Oh, this guy's been in the system since before I started paying attention. Like, 2015? 24? He's had eight years in the Orioles system. And I guess, like, since before I started paying attention, from what I heard... He was trying to get it over. He was trying to get people out with junk for like six seasons, and it didn't exactly work. He wasn't like he didn't fit into a closer type of profile really until last year. But uh, you know, closers they don't tend to last forever. So I think it would be very wise for the Orioles to develop some advanced bullpen options just in case. Felix doesn't do in 23 and beyond what he did in, in, in 2022. It's not like I'm not confident in him at all. I, I, I've met him. I've seen his warm-up sessions. They're, they're like, they're saying that he's injured now, so his workload is significantly reduced, but he's not injured. They just want his build-up to be really, really slow, which I understand. He's a big dude. He's a really, really, really big guy. So I, I, I don't know what to expect but I would expect a lot of leash. So if he blows three saves in the first month, I don't think they're switching him out. But if he blows seven in the first two months or eight in the first two months, there's going to be a, there's going to be a 1A with an opportunity to take over his, his, uh, his job. I like Felix, but closers are fickle. Maybe that's a good way to say it. Volatile, fickle. Uh, right. There's a lot of there's a lot. If you find that closer that can like like somebody like like you know like Mariano Rivera or like Trevor Hoffman or really those guys that just are year in year out, those guys are like a needle in a haystack. It is so hard to find a reliable closer. Right. Who would you say the one A is? Oh, so far this spring, it's been. I want to say he's a minor league rule five guy, Nolan Hoffman. I don't know too much about him, but I know that he was warming up today. Could have got his third save. Uh, Felix is righty. The setup man is Dylan Tate, also righty. I like to have a lefty option in there, and I also like to have someone that contrasts or is different from the, the pitcher before him. We've got a lefty who had a sports hernia injury, who who throws things, everything he throws moves in a very funky way. That, that guy's name is Nick Vespi, uh, a, a long-haired blonde guy. His uh, velocity has a ceiling, but I don't even look at it. Like, if you want to see what he does to lefties, you can just Google uh, Nick Vespi versus G-Man Choi. He did the, like, he, like, had Choi going down into the dirt on one knee just trying to follow follow it so it's really really tough on lefties uh i'd say bestie tate one of one of those guys i, I they, they they haven't emerged yet ed so i guess like as the bullpen becomes more formulated we'll, we'll find out who that person could could be hopefully it's felix gotcha cool so do you how hogdale do you have any more questions for for Mister Mister Birdland here? I think we got everything uh, through that we uh, we had planned. I've got one more question for you. Uh, actually, I've got two. The first is, who was your favorite player growing up? Oh, uh, uh, that's easy. That's Eddie Murray, the Orioles. Oh man, which hitting Hall of Famer. I got to meet him when I was like, I think five or six years old. I had a I won a contest and I got to go in the in the locker room in the clubhouse before the game and everybody in Baltimore was like all crazy about Cal Ripken and I was just like, you know, whenever I go to a game, Eddie Murray is the one that drives in the runs. Eddie Murray is the one that everybody stands up and cheers for. And I told him that when I met him. 
And I remember we got pictures and I shook his hand and I got his autograph. And the more I watched him, the more I was like, wow, we're good because of this guy. And he just got added to the organization last week as a coach. And he just reported two days ago. So hopefully I'll come across him in my, my travels to the stadium. It was Eddie Murray is my favorite player by, by, by so far. Really, my 1A is David Ortiz. Really? Oh, absolutely. I mean, who's more clutch than him? Who, who yeah. Than him? Remember, the Red Sox, or the, the Yankees were, like, supposed to win, and he made them not win. So how, how <laughs> Yeah, that's up. Yeah. As an Orioles fan, I would imagine. I hadn't really thought about it that way, but that's as an Orioles fan, you've gone through the exact same thing with them always being at the top of the division. We have a lot in common. It's, you know, it's, we, we, our hatred of the Yankees unites us. But, you know, Poppy, Poppy and I share a birthday, and he's like the most clutch player of my life. It probably should be Mike Messina. But Poppy has done better baseball things for me in my life. So, so it's him. Well, I can tell you my favorite non-Red Sox player um, is a famous Oriole, and that's Adam Jones. So, okay. you know, like I, I see – I'm starting to think this – there's, you know, it's not, it, 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 we might be like six hours apart geographically, but except for when we're playing each other, same thing. Totally the same thing. I feel that. Also, by the way, Jonesy got added to camp too. I don't know if he's officially been hired by the Orioles, but he showed up last week and he's been like tweeting that I'm talking with the owner or I'm talking with the network. So this guy like might be a broadcaster or something when the season starts. He's awesome. He's, he's, I like, he just seems like such a good guy from everything that I've heard about him. And just like the talent level is, I was really hoping he'd come back after and like, you know, after Japan and finish his career up here, but wasn't a great, great, very brief Adam Jones story at Ed Smith stadium one day, uh, years and years and years ago before a game, they were doing batting practice. There was nobody there. I used to work at the stadium. So I was there early. Uh, Adam Jones with an outfield shagging balls. I believe it was Chris Davis hitting. Chris Davis hit one, so I start running in the bleachers to get it. And Adam Jones looks out up at me. I'm running, and there's no one else there, so that I don't need to run. And I fall down, and I turn around, and Adam Jones is looking at me, and he points at me and said, "You are such a loser." <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> he was not that's wrong. Brutal. He was definitely that's brutal. Right, right. right. I, Jesus yeah, Christ. Wrong. Just his observation. I'm not going to disagree with him. It probably looked like, yeah, this guy's a big loser. Well, I would say this. I uh, Just after this conversation, I don't think you're a loser at all. Thank I think this has much. been one of my uh, since, uh, this has been one of my favorite um, episodes and we're we're really appreciative of uh, of you coming on for this. Um, no so. problem. Ended on one last question, and you alluded to this very briefly earlier, but what is your dog's name, and what kind of a dog are they? Oh, Scooter is a six-year-old German Shepherd. Uh, Right. He's very handsome. He's like the kind (laughs) that's all black and not a lot of uh, brown spots. His brown is on the bottom. So he really loves baseball. A lot of the players know him, too. Uh, They even let me bring him to the facility every now and then. That's awesome. some coaches come out and like take pictures with him. I know a bunch of players and their parents like send him gifts. So uh, the Orioles catching prospect Creed Williams is a big. He's from Texas and he's. A I big love dog. Creed Williams. He's such a. He's like we had a guy named Big Joe Davis. He's such a character of the game, Creed. So when when I met him last year, like we first bonded on on dogs, and he's like Eric, you know. I got a good contract. I, you know, I sometimes I'm with major league people. Like if something hurts, I get it taken care of. I want to eat something. People just bring it to me. It's like being away from my dog is something that I, I, nobody can make up for it. So he's like, if you don't mind, when you come back tomorrow, bring Scooter. So I did, and, and now and now they're friends. So you oh, know, man, right? That's Scooter awesome. Is, I'm, I'm a single dude and scooter like being in my life. It's almost like I have a love interest, a child, a best friend, uh, a chore, a responsibility. And it's uh, something that I, I really embrace. And I'm really happy I made the decision to, to have our together. Thank you for asking.
for me and for Oh yeah, you. no, I always I always ask about dogs. Uh <laughs> I've got Hogdale and I both have them. He's got uh awesome. got Sapphire and I've got uh I've got Penny and they're they're good dogs. But um yeah, so, no, thank you. Thank you again so much. Um, is there anything you want to plug, uh your podcast or where people can follow you? Oh, I didn't even think about that. Uh yeah. Uh the Florida Prospect Report. I don't know the exact Twitter handle, but uh my partner and I, my partner is Bailey. He's a college kid in uh, Fort Myers. And one day we just got together and we decided that we see more baseball and more prospects than anyone else. So let's like make a page or make a pod and let's share it with as many people as we can. And it started last year and we've actually grown immensely, like surprisingly since then. Like I'm, I'm an unemployed adult. He's an extremely very busy uh, college student. So it's weird that we've been able to, to collaborate, but the Florida prospect report, if you like uh, minor league baseball and you like prospects, we go to, go to practices, go to camps, go to drills, go to exhibitions. So we glean as much information as, as we can from that. And we share it all with, with fans like us all for free. So uh, Florida prospect report. That's us. Thank you so much for asking. If you're a fan of Sox prospects and that kind of uh, kind of content, this is a podcast for you. This is it's not Red Sox specific, but it's it's very good if you're interested in uh, in following the minors. Like um, I, I, there are very few podcasts of the same quality, so um, I will shamelessly plug that as well. Uh, but yeah, we will we will be back um, tomorrow. We've got Ian Cundall from Sox prospects coming on, and that'll be. Yeah, that'll be our next one. So uh, thanks thanks again. Thanks uh, so much, Eric. Thanks so much, Hogdale. Uh, we'll see you guys next time.